रोशनी का कारवा दिस पॉडकास्ट इज ब्रॉट टू यू बाय बैरियर ब्रेक सॉल्यूशंस प्राइवेट लिमिटेड एंड स्कोर फाउंडेशन Hi my name is George Abraham and uh, welcome to this edition of Iway Conversations My guest today is uh, Simon Moni from uh, the UK he is a citizen of uh, or rather he lives in Ashbourne in Derbyshire Welcome uh, Simon to the show Thank you George it's it's good to be here So Simon you were telling me that you started losing your eyesight when you were about 63 or 64 what was your response and uh, how did you deal with it i don't think my response was usual of course i experienced the same horror and terror that everybody else does but i was very fortunate in my early years i was in the royal marines which basically gave me the view that you always need to challenge what is possible which gives you a certain attitude to life And secondly, as a social worker, psychologist, teacher, I had a lot of knowledge about what happens when people are faced with disaster. So in a sense, I could predict to a certain extent what the emotional roller coaster was going to be like. And what I did was I created a set of rules for myself, which I called the rules of engagement. was sight loss to help me keep steady when things were getting a bit wild i mean it had things in it like um accept your sight loss um obstacles an opportunity to find solutions through improvisation adaptation and eventually overcoming the problem um it was about organizing my life it was basically setting down rules which would actually allow me to live with increasing sight loss and i basically worked very hard at accepting what was going on right from the beginning even though it was as i say quite frightening but i was fortunate i was picked up very quickly by within 2 years by an organization called blind veterans which is an organization for ex servicemen and current servicemen who are losing or have lost their sight. What was the kind of uh, training that you got from uh, blind veterans? A lot of it was practical, but the most valuable bit was being with other people with the same problems. And there was an awful lot of peer group support going on. Um for example, I had the idea that instead of putting toothpaste on a toothbrush, you put it straight in your mouth. and i shared that idea with people and they thought that was a great idea uh other people had the idea of having high-sided bowls to eat out of so you weren't chasing your food all over the table and that was an idea i accepted for myself so there was a lot of um swapping of notes and sharing of tips and basically sharing what we we'd already learned before we got blind veterans so and The main thing was of course but um 
you realised you weren't on your own. And the greatest thing with blind veterans is that things get put in perspective. You know, when I got there, I learned about a young rifleman who, who was only a teenager. He'd had limbs blown off and eyes blown out in Afghanistan. And, you know, to think of a 19, 20-year-old having that happen to him and how he gets on with it is really quite sobering. And then you hear that he's actually getting on with his life and making a good fist of it. It's actually it's very humbling. And you then realise, actually, all that's wrong with me is I can't see. So get a grip and stop moaning, you know? So Blind Veterans was useful in the sense it taught me some basic skills. It taught me that I'm not alone, which I think is incredibly important because you can feel very alone with sight loss. And also it taught me a sense of perspective in the sense that other people are so much worse off and they've got multiple problems and all that's wrong with me is I can't see. Uh, Simon, you are a family man. Uh, you were married and you have children. How did yeah. they How did they kind of respond to you when this change happened with you? My wife found it very, very, very hard to um, adjust to it. She was rapidly becoming disabled herself. I mean, at the end, um, I was her legs and she was my eyes. I mean, it was basically that. And it worked very well, actually. Um, but she found herself horribly embarrassed when she was saying, oh, you see what I mean? Or why don't you look what you're doing? Or she would come in, I'd be typing in dark. Um, no screen, um, no mouse, just a keyboard and a tower and no light on it. I'd be typing away quite happily. And she would come in and say, oh, we're sitting in the dark. Can you see what you're doing? Do you want the light on? And then there'd be a silence. Oh, my God, she said, I'm so sorry. I've done it again. She used to get really embarrassed by that. I mean, it didn't particularly bother me because, in fact, that's one of my rules of engagement. Do not be vexed by people's use of language because they can't help it. And when people say, I see what you mean or in view of or get a focus, they get horribly embarrassed. doesn't bother me because I quite deliberately use that um, language myself I'll say that something is blindingly obvious and people will you can almost hear them shuddering thinking what's he on you know but as far as I'm concerned um, I just I just want to make my sight loss um, a non-event for people my wife found that very hard I think the hardest thing she found was she could only imagine what it was like for me. But as far as I was concerned, it was it was okay. I was getting on with it. It wasn't anything like as bad as I imagined. But for her, it was the ultimate horror because she had very good eyesight and she couldn't even begin to imagine what it was like. So for her, it was just a, a constant horror show, really. And she even towards the end, she never really got used to it. And she used to say to me so often, as my skills improved, I can't believe you're blind. I really can't believe that you're blind the way you do things. And I think 
generally the idea of having no sight at all is very difficult for people to grasp. A number of times they say to me, but you must be able to see like shades, shades of black or white, or you must be able to see something. I say, no, I can't. Well, you must be. Able. I have to say to them, which part are blind? Don't you understand? You know, it's um, actually it, the curious thing about being blind is that you actually achieve clarity in a lot of things, particularly on what's going on around you, because you learn to listen so much better and you pick up so much more information. I think when you're when you can see, we are perceptually very lazy. Um, as my um, as my stepsister's stepdaughter said to me, well, when we can see, we do things blindly, which means, of course, that when we can't see, we have to do things mindfully. And that is a totally different ball game. So it's a totally different way of living. And you have to learn how to do that. That's a very interesting way of putting it. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I listened to a radio program on BBC World Service uh, recently where you were one of the panelists. And the topic, mm. and the topic was about your heroics in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> So, uh, uh, you know, uh, that's something which is interesting. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? When Kelly died, I obviously had to um, learn how to cook again. And to begin with, it was, it was a shambles. And then I gradually settled down and I began to learn to create systems which would work for me. Um, one of the things I was fortunate in having was an automatic pen friend, which um, gives you an audio label on things. So I was able to label all the food and the jars and the condiments and all the rest of it. So that was a big help. So I knew what I was doing. Um, and then I developed a system, which I call Kiss and Slope, which is the kiss is keep it simple, stupid, which is an old, old English saying. And when you're blind, you need to keep things as simple as possible because otherwise life gets hopelessly complicated. And then slope, um, say, uh, S stands for safety, which, of course, you've got to be really careful of because you've got hot water, sharp knives, electricity, um, trip hazards, God knows what else besides. You have to, um, you also have to, operate on the basis of what I call the lazy person principle, which is basically you make sure that you are only focusing on one thing at a time. And then when you actually come to do the preparation of the meal, you are, you've got everything there because you've organized it in that way. So you just stand there and you focus on what you're doing. Even down I've, and that brings us on to the next bit, organisation. If you've got everything organised, you can just be lazy and stand there. That's even down to having a bowl to put the rubbish in, which so you're not having to go backwards and forwards to the waste bin. And it's making sure that every piece of equipment, every um, ingredient down to the last half, half cup of water is there to hand. So you just get on with the job. And... 
So slope, which is safety, leisure person, organisation, preparation. That's making sure that everything is laid out for you. And then execution, which is basically just doing the job. And this is um, Sheila Kennedy on the food programme called it a new philosophy of cooking. Well, yeah, okay, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But it works for me. It means that nothing is left out and you're not wandering around with your mind preoccupied trying to get something else. Because the minute you start moving about when you're blind, you're actually you're actually putting yourself in line for some interesting possibilities, um, like tripping, falling, cutting yourself, or whatever. So, again, this ties in with the lazy person principle. You don't want to be moving about so you make sure that everything is organised down to the last T. And that, that's basically what I developed as a method. And um, people come in saying, oh, this is amazing. How are you doing it? How are you doing it? So I wrote a book about it, and I called it First Catch a Rabbit. Because it occurred to me that um, I wouldn't be the last person to be in the position of losing a spouse. Um, I certainly wasn't the first. And I wouldn't be the last person who was blind who would be in that position. So I reckon it would be useful to write a guide on how I'd done it and the methods I'd developed and the sort of basic philosophy behind it. Um, and the basic philosophy behind it is very simple. You just challenge all the time what you think is possible because in that way we keep on moving forward. If you know of anyone with vision impairment who needs guidance on living life with blindness, please share the IWA National Toll Free Helpline number 1800532046. The number is 1800532046. So uh, I, I, I believe that uh, you uh, you have published another book and you're working on your third book. Can you right. uh, can you tell us a little bit about those books? Right. The first book is called A Descent into Darkness, which is literally des- describing my descent into darkness in the sense of um, transiting from a sighted person to someone who can't see. Um, it's deals with the emotional firestorm I went through. It deals with um, a lot of the um, methods I found of coping with life as a blind person, including, um, I mean, one of the things I do every year is I go around um, the whole of the south of England, um, which is about five, 600 miles, to see my children and grandchildren all on local buses and I take my dog with me and a rucksack full of presents I take about four days over it so um, I've demonstrated to myself that if you've got a mouse and a white stick travel is not a problem the same with shopping so again I've given hints on how to deal with people who assist you in shopping I've also given advice on how to ask for and refuse help 
Because refusing help is actually quite difficult. Um, you're doing a number of things when you refuse help. You're rejecting the person as such. You're stopping them from doing something they've chosen to do. You're um, acting contrary to their expectations. And basically, you're turning your world upside down. Now, if you think that's a bit, bit extreme, just think about how you feel if you offer help to someone and they refuse you. You actually feel quite put out. You think, oh, hmm. well, I wanted to help, but they don't want it. Hmm. So you actually feel quite put out by it. So um, I, I spend quite a lot of time talking about that. I also spend some time talking about basic communication skills because one of the things which I learned very quickly was that you have to relearn how to communicate again because you've no longer got the benefit of being, assess, being able to assess people uh, by the way they look, the way they stand, uh, um, and the gestures they make. So you've got to rely entirely on touch and sound. <clears throat> so you're actually operating on something like 10% of the information to which you are used. So you actually have to um, totally relearn how to communicate again. And you, you have to do this deliberately because if you try and proceed on the basis of what you knew before, all that happens is you end up doing the wrong things well, and that doesn't help at all. And the other thing, of course, I give warning about in that book is um, the um, Charles Bonnet syndrome or CBS. Um, CBS is when the visual brain doesn't have very much to do because there's nothing coming in from the eyes or very little coming in from the eyes. So it makes things up, uh, basically hallucinations. Now, if you know about these hallucinations, they're not a problem. If you don't, you can start thinking you're going mad. And that is a problem because, as we all know, um, sight loss and mental health are not that far apart. And sometimes a lot of people become very depressed, even suicidal, when they lose their sight. And being able to manage your sight loss and get a positive attitude about it and be cheerful in adversity, as it were, um, or as we say in the Marines, laugh in the face of adversity. Um, and I don't mean being hysterical either. Um, you know, it's, it's a very important aspect of dealing with it. I think above all, in those, in those, early, in those early days, I learned to um, climb out of being disabled to being someone with an inconvenient, um, with an in inconvenient condition. Because, um, as, I, as I said to you earlier before we started this, I do not consider myself to be disabled at all. Uh, you know, I'd like the time I was growing up in the 1960s and 70s as a blind person. Today, there's a lot of technology that is available. Uh, so what is the role that technology has played in your life? Oh, immense. Um, I mentioned the pen, friend. That labels everything that I need to know. Yes. Uh, so I'm not 
you know, I'm not putting curry in the tr- in trifle or baked beans um, on the strawberries, you know. So I'm actually, when I put my hand on something and I, I, I'm not sure what it is, I, I stick the pen frame on it. Oh, yeah, that's chopped tomatoes. Okay, so we know where we are. Um, I also have a talking microwave, which is actually quite useful. But above all, I have what we call a synaptic phone. So I can find my way around an ordinary touch screen because everything I touch, it tells me what I'm touching. So that is, so I can use a phone. That gives me my independence. Um, The other thing I've got is um, my assistive technology on my computer. Every keystroke is repeated back to me audibly so when i'm writing i know what i'm writing i've only got to hit hit a particular key and it'll read it back to me i mean there's no way i could have written three books and with a fourth on the way um without um that kind of assistive technology and one of the things i obviously had to learn to do is touch type well, it took me six months. I mean, it would take most 16-year-old girls fortnight, but it took me six months. But that's age for you. To support our work with the blind and visually impaired, you can visit the donate page on our website, www.scorefoundation.org.in. Please note, www dot scorefoundation dot org dot in so uh, you know it's very impressive simon um, at the age of 64 between 64 and 74 you've done a lot of things which a lot of young people might not dare to do uh, you've written three books a fourth one on the way you've learned cooking and you You've, um, you've you've kind of written a book about cooking and yep. uh, and, and 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 you've you've kind of uh, turned uh, a condition which most people would say is disabling uh, but you've kind of um, accepted it and then moved on with life uh, and just see that as just an inconvenience so uh, well george can i tell you um, yeah. i've walked 84 miles along um Hadrian's Wall for charity um, and that was quite an adventure and that's up in the really rough bit of it um, on the border between England and Scotland <coughs> that's as far as the Romans went I've also walked from Ashbourne to Sheffield via um, one of the local reservoirs and that's about 61 miles again for charity I've also relearned how to sail a sailing dinghy so Um, I go sailing quite regularly um, and I'm also learning to climb at the moment and I've also had a go at skiing so yeah um, I've done a lot of things since I lost my sight um, the best one I think was getting my sailing back because I've always sailed so I, I can steer a boat in a, in a straight line on the wind quite happily it's not a problem I just go by the feel of the wind, the direction of the sun, the sound of the water on the hull, and the sound of wind in the sails. 
<clears throat> so I've learned to use other uh, senses to do what I used to do with my eyes and climbing. Um, that tends to be guided in the sense that they'll say, yeah, up, up to your left, slightly higher. There's the hold, grab. But I'm hoping... And this isn't that unusual because I was a youngster of 19 with severe sight loss, blindness, who actually led a climb on the Old Man of Hoy, which is one of the classic climbs in this yeah. country up in the Orkneys. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, um, 74 is a number. Um too high a number for my liking, but it's still only a number. So um, basically, I'm trying to keep myself as active as possible, both mentally and physically. And I don't see um, being blind an impediment. Incredible. You just need a little bit of you just need a little bit of help occasionally. Yeah, I guess the uh, the secret of uh, living uh, happy and. Uh, and, and a good life is to have the right attitude. And I think you, mm. during this conversation, you very amply kind of demonstrated that. And uh, you've talked about so many wonderful experiences you've had. It's, it's, it's a lovely talking to you, Simon, and wish you all the best. Well, George, I think blindness is as much a state of mind as a physical condition. This podcast was brought to you by Barrier Break Solutions Private Limited and Score Foundation. I will, yeah, Roshanika.